quite comical. Uh, a man and his wife had been married 65 years. They was having quite a big to-do about it, and the pastor had got up and talked about it and all of that, and so they asked Brother So-and-So, who had been married 65 years, to stand up and tell them what was the secret of his success. Been married to the same woman 65 years. What was the secret of his success? And, of course, everybody sat back expecting to hear a great dissertation about what you had to do in order to be able to be married for 65 years. And he stood up and squared his shoulders and said, we stuck it out. <laughs> and I thought as you was testifying concerning despondency, discouragement, and so on, we just stick it out. Amen. We don't have any special formulas or special remedies. We just know that the devil is on our case, and we just know he's against us. And uh, I'm sure that you are a bunch that will stick it out, having been here all this time, and we're sticking it out. And my wife and I are stickers, too. We just stick it out. And uh, so regardless of what the devil does, God is still a winner. Amen. And we're still expecting good things. All I ask of myself and of you is let us check our lives, let us check ourselves, let us see what God wants out of us. It's a possibility he wants something out of us before he adds to the church daily such as should be saved. I said possibility, and that means every one of us check our lives, find out what God is concerned about, find out what we need to be, the condition, position we need to be in before God sends us souls. And we would be surprised perhaps what God wants to send us. Maybe we're not ready for that yet. I don't know. Sometimes we think we are, but when we're really not. So we need to be concerned about that. Uh, we will be going to the IMA conference at Evansville, Indiana, and we'll be leaving the 23rd to 24th. Try to leave a day or so so we can stop by and see some of our kids that we haven't seen for quite some time and probably won't get to see again. And so we're going to need someone out of this congregation, and I know this is not new to you, to prepare lessons for Sunday school and Sunday night the 25th and Wednesday night the 28th. We would appreciate it if you'd get together. And uh, I know that you've got capable individuals here and uh, get something for those dates. Sunday school that morning, uh, uh, Sunday night the 25th and Wednesday night the 28th, and we'll be back in the following week. Also, we're having a little problem uh, because of the conference. Uh, coming up of getting the dates we want for the family seminar. So we're going to put that on hold and uh, tell after the conference and see where we're at. We would like to have, and it's been agreeable with most of them, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, one week and then another week, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And it's going to be impossible to get that. And uh, it may not be in October, I don't know, because we have a conference uh, I think runs Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at Noxipater, and then we have a conference also at Pontotoc, which runs on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. So we'll check those nights and pray about it because we want plenty of time. I, I don't want to be rushed in this area. And I told my wife, well, I could manage to cram in two lessons a night and maybe get it in three nights, but I don't want to do that. This is too important in this day and age that we're living in and the all-out attack of Satan on the family. Have you ever wondered about 
why the last temptation of Jesus was ever allowed to be in production and how it was really ever conceived. It's such, it's such a distressing thing, and it, it, it's, it's such, well, it's probably the worst thing that's ever happened in Christianity or to Christianity. And I was thinking about that all this week about how it ever got started. We know sin is in the world. But it takes a certain caliber of people to think of something like this. And I got to thinking about the ploys of Satan and the strategy of Satan to destroy the home. First, he destroys the home. If he can, then he destroys the nations. And then he destroys the mind of this generation. That's why you have so much dope and drugs and alcohol and all these things are taking the minds of this generation because most likely this is a generation that's going to usher in King Jesus. And so he destroyed the minds of those and all of that. But I think his greatest deception probably is destroy or take away the meaning of the most precious and necessary word in the Bible, and that is love. And I find that this last temptation of Jesus actually in the mind of the world was based on love. This is where they're thinking. This is how degenerate the mind of the world is. The Bible is filled with love and the word love and what it means, an explanation of it. I want to read just a few verses, I think, in 1 John 4th chapter, beginning at the 7th verse, and I want you to see the necessity. I'm sure you already know it, but I think Peter and John and Paul and all of them always writes, though you once knew this, <laughs> I want to bring it to your remembrance. So whenever we bring things to you, it's not us belittling your knowledge, but it's the fact that though you once knew this, stir up your pure mind and your understanding. Beginning the seventh verse said, Beloved, let us, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us his spirit. For we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Again, this same scripture, we love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. We're going to take you just for a couple of scriptures to 
also to first or to Saint John, the thirteenth chapter, and the thirty-fourth and the thirty-fifth verse. Saint John fourteen, thirteenth chapter. Saint John thirteen. I'm sorry, thirteenth chapter, thirty-four, thirty-five. And he says, In a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my, my disciples, if ye have love one to another. I think we ought to notice that there, that what makes people know that we are followers of God. It's not necessarily how loud we shout and how long we shout, not necessarily... Uh, our ability to dance and joy and it's not actually our ability to speak in tongues and to have the Holy Ghost but it all boils down to the fact that if we have loved one for another then all men are going to know that we are the disciples of God and that is the reason as far as I'm concerned that the meaning and importance of the word love has been changed to our sorrow when we look at it Television and movie industries have taken the word love and have done their best and have done a good job of it, of changing its entire meaning. Soap operas, when you look at it, and I'd always advise ladies and men alike, don't watch it. It's just filled with things that is ungodly and can plant ideas in your mind. They, they're obsessed with what they call love. It's love in marriage, it's love outside of marriage, it's love in the morning and love in the afternoon and evening. And the tragedy of all of this really is there is almost lo no love whatsoever in anything that they portray. It's only lust. So they've actually changed the meaning of love and inserted lust for that. Fleshly, bodily appetites. Love and lust may be similar in appearance, but they're very different in nature. And you need to look at that real closely. Lust is concerned with me, just me. Love is concerned with someone else. Love, our lust is concerned with getting. Everything that I want, I want to get. Love is concerned with giving. And lust thinks only of its own happiness, what it can do to make itself happy. And love thinks of the happiness of others. When you look around in this world, the word love has little meaning at all more than just an emotional or a physical sensation something that makes us feel good and if we don't feel good and if we don't feel well then we're just simply not in love it's all that simple they have taken the word and that has uh, made an avenue for this film which is one of the greatest degenerate things to the uh, our Savior there is, is simply because they have taken the word lust and transplanted it for the word love. And when you look at the last temptation of Jesus, supposedly in the mind of the world, he is loving. When actually all it is is lust. All it is is an abomination in the eyes of God. Over and over in counseling, we've counseled a lot of people, not so many here, of course, but we haven't got established. We hear such things as, well, I just can't make it. We're going to get a divorce. We're just simply not in love anymore. And the first question I have to ask people is how you know you're not in love. And you know the number one thing that they say, well, I just can't feel it anymore. 
And I tell them therein lies the answer. We've been made to believe that love is nothing more than an emotional feeling. Even love for our God, when the emotional feeling of uh, this dies out, why then love is gone. You notice that even with God, for some people, if you can't get emotional, if there isn't something that tickled your fancy at all times, then your love for God is gone. But friend, listen, love goes deeper than that. First and foremost, love is a deep, deep, deep commitment. And Christ has made that commitment for us a long, long time ago. He had reason to look and say, why do I want to die for them? Why? But he made a commitment to us, and he fulfilled that commitment. And I think he's asking us to make a commitment to him. It's not an emotional thing. I get as emotional as anybody else in the presence of God. I like to shout. I like it when we're on happiness road, don't you? I like it when there's nothing in the way whatsoever, and it's just free access down the freeway of uh, happiness and gladness and all of that. But I have come to realize that a commitment made to God, a commitment made from the very depths of my heart, a love for God is going to transcend anything that happens in my life. A commitment that I have made to Him is going to stand when all mankind has failed. Commitment I've made to God, a deep, deep commitment that I call love. It's not lusting after what God can give me. It's not lusting after the things that, that's there that the world desires, but it's a love for God simply, not for what He is, but for who He is in my life. What He has become in my life. Not what He can give me, not the things that make everything just real good, but the very simple fact that He died for me. He made a commitment to me and gave it all. He didn't withhold anything. I have long since asked God some way to give me that deep commitment to Him so that whatever happens, and so far He's been gracious to me. I've had my ups and downs. I've had my ins and outs. I've had my days when nothing went right and, and uh, uh, somebody, what is it said? Somebody said, cheer up, things could get worse. And I cheered up and sure enough, things got worse. <laughs> and I've had those days like that. I stand around and I wonder, not is there a God? I wonder sometimes where He is. But then I remember that song standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. And you'll know him by the nail prints in his hand. Friend, that's love. And that's a deep commitment that we need to make for God. Foundation stone of all human relationships has been undermined. The thing that makes solid homes has been hewn out. The things that makes marriages work has simply been destroyed. We've been led to believe that love is just a little obsession of sex of some kind. And when all of this wears out, well, then there's nothing left. We've been encouraged to build, and the world still doesn't, our relationships on the me syndrome. When me is not happy, me is convinced that me is no longer in love, and me seeks a missing ingredient someplace else. Yeah, all right? Uh, in other words, we focus our attention on me. It's just like a cancer. This syndrome begins eating away at the vitals of our marriages, at our home, and at our country. Nothing like the love that Jesus portrayed and nothing like the love that he said we as Christians should have. Being hailed by boys and girls uh, that can barely spell the word and they don't have the foggiest idea for the most part what it really means. We don't set our family down and explain the difference between love and lust 
Uh, marriages are doomed. They don't have any place whatsoever. But to understand the meaning of love. How do you understand the meaning of love? We need to understand how God defines love. Not how the world defines it, but how does God define love? And God defines it in a sense like this. The Bible says, Husbands, to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. In other words, God's definition of love is written in blood. <laughs> All right, when it's written in blood. In other words, look at the mangled body of the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross when he had access to 10,000 angels and he turned them down because he looked and saw you wallowing in sin despair and stayed there, suffered it all. Friend, that's love. And it's written in blood and it's handed down to you and I today that shows us the love of Jesus. Watch them as we said Sunday night as they mangled his body, as they spit upon him, as they mutilated him, as they finally led him to the cross of Calvary and he uttered not a word because he was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, was giving himself his own life. He could have saved it, but he didn't because he was looking at you. Remember the taunting that they said to him when they said he saved others himself he cannot save? I've always said that's prophecy. They might not have known that, but that's prophecy because if Jesus had have saved himself, he would have never been able to save anybody else. But he realized that the world was doomed. I think, I don't know about you, but I think that he looked down the 20th century, back 1954, and saw this old boy that didn't have a chance in the world. Saw this individual that was sick in body, and sick in mind, and sick in soul, and this individual to the world gave no chance whatsoever. And he looked down and saw me and said, I'll give him a chance. <laughs> I'll die for him. I'll write his name in the Lamb's Book of Life and I'll write it with my precious blood. I've been a, a lot of places with God. I've failed him a lot of times. I've been through a, a lot of sickness and a lot of disease and a lot of sorrow. My home has been uprooted. I actually really don't have a home. And all of these things, but none of these things, the Apostle Paul said, none of these things move me. In other words, you find a foundation. <laughs> you just get all the dirt and cinders and the debris off of that foundation and you get that sand off of there and you get your foundation and you put it on the solid rock which is Christ Jesus and you build your house there. And the winds can come and blow, and the house still stands. What we need to do is realize God defines love, not his lust. All you got to do is examine the holes in his hand and his feet and the blood that flowed down freely. And listen to his agony as he cried. And listen to the cries on the cross, seven of them. And when you look at and listen to those cries, not one of those cries was made on behalf of himself. Even when he cried, I first, he was feeling the infirmities and thirstiness of the land in which he was dying for. He was thirsting because he realized mankind needed salvation and they need waters, living waters that flowed from the throne of God and he was the only one that could give that. He was expressing humanity and every cry that he made and he made it for us. Romans 5, 8 said, God commanded his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Another thing I've noticed about love, and maybe you haven't, and maybe you have, that love is really not a matter of emotions. Love is a matter of will. And when you are going on emotions and you call it love, you have to be wrong. Because we will to love or we will not to love. We have it within our power to do that. And that's why God commands us to love our neighbors and he commands us to love even our enemies. He knows we're capable of doing both just by an act of will. In other words, giving our will over to God's will. I'm saying, God, I will to love. We can give or we can withhold our giving and our love from whomsoever we choose. In other words, if we see somebody we don't want to love, we don't love them. Amen? But if we see somebody, the love of God whelms up within us, and we say, I want to love those individuals. We will ourselves to love them. We may not love what they do. Jesus certainly didn't love humanity for what it did. He didn't love humanity for what it was. He loved humanity for what he could take and make out of it. And that's why he loved you and that's why he loved me. It's not the goodness you have. It's the goodness you could do with him. So when we love somebody, it's because we choose to love them. And when we fail to love somebody, it's simply because we choose not to love them. We have it within our own will to be able to do this. And we need to recognize that. And when we look at it, all the symbols of love, all the things that the world puts up in the towers they build and all of that, the cross of Christ towers above all of them as the ultimate symbol of love. I mean, whenever you want to find out what love is, Look in your Bible. Read concerning the patriarchs of old. Listen to Abraham when God speaks to him in his very comfortable position as a great man in the city of Ur and says, Abraham, get out. I'm going to send you someplace. Doesn't even tell him where he's going to go. But you see something within side of Abraham that makes him love his God enough to leave everything else and do what he's told. Just look at your prophets of old that withered the storms and, and the protest against them at all times when they could have very easily just turned their ears to what Satan said and told Israel they were doing all right. But they suffered inhumane treatment because they loved God more than they loved their own life and more than they even loved their claims of other individuals. God commended men and told us that we should love the sinners in which Christ died for. Hallelujah. We need to really realize that. And when you want to see love, look in your Bible. God so loved the world. I like that old Sunday school scripture. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Bible says, though he was rich, he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. He looked at man's plight, and I like that. And he saw the wages of sin was death. And he looked at that and he said, I'll die in his place. Somebody's got to pay the price. Somebody's got to, got to pay the wages. Man couldn't. Jesus shouldn't. But he did. That's love. That's the best love that you can have. What is it he said? Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. And when you stop to realize his life, he did it all, ever been of it, because he loved. 
He loved that spirit which indwelt him, but he loved humanity because he saw them. Only when we're willing to give up our money, to give up our pleasure, to give up our ambitions, to give up our way and our will and our time and our life for someone else, are we demonstrating love at its finest. And I think the world is waiting to see the manifestation of the sons of God. Because when they see that manifestation, they're going to see the manifestation of love at its greatest and at its finest. Where mankind counts not his will, mankind counts not what he has or what he's accomplished. He gives it all to God and gives it all for the work of God. And we're demonstrating to the world that God is not dead, that love is not lust, that Jesus Christ was somebody that loved, somebody that did not lust, and we're demonstrating to the world that God is still alive, motivating himself and moving through his people and loving humanity whether they love back or not. Reaching out to hands sometimes that you get bit by. Still loving the individual, not expecting a thing in return, only to fulfill the works that God has laid down for us. That's a different kind of thing than you see portrayed every day on television. You can't hardly even watch your news reports without seeing some type of uh, sexual overturns in that. And they do it all in the name of love. When one or more members are carrying on an affair, loose living, illicit relationships, and simply they call that an alternative to faithfulness. And that's the tragedy of the me generation. It certainly don't know how to love. We're living in a generation that does not know how to love. It has never been given love. It does not know what love is. And Satan has taken the quietness of the church. The fact that we have not been able to demonstrate the love as we should. And he's taken the quietness of the church and has changed the meaning of the word and caused it to mean lust. You talk to most young people. Just almost all of them, they can't define love other than through sexual overturns. That's all they know concerning love. It has to be taught in the house of God, but first of all, it has to be taught in the home. You cannot bypass the home. I've said it often, you cannot expect the church to give a child to the church for a couple of three hours a week and expect it to offset what a godless generation does the rest of the time. It takes a home that is built upon the foundations and principles of God that's concerned about the world and concerned about those that are in their own household, that's deeply rooted in the divine love of God, that's desirous only to portray Christ and his crown of glory in his life. It's the only way we're going to be able to turn this thing around. The only way we're going to be able to meet these things is to get the true meaning of what love actually is. The whole meaning of this word has been changed. I don't have to tell you that. You know that it has. And I suppose this generation talks more about going all the way. And I have to get a little plain here, and I hope this doesn't embarrass anybody. But this generation talks more about going all the way and go all the way, I suppose, in these areas more than any generation thus far. Now, that's usually because of the breakdown, not only in homes, but a breakdown in the churches. Hard to combat something from wickedness that has gained such momentum in these day, day and hour. But yet they probably know less 
about what it means and what going all the way means. You find what going all the way means in the Bible. It doesn't mean giving your body over to the opposite sex. That's, that's not going all the way. That's not what love will do. That's what lust will do. But when you want an example of going all the way, you go and you read the prodigal son that left home and arrogant and a very rebellious young man. And he went into a far country and he wasted his money on riotous living and lived it all up and, and, and lived out these fantasies of what love actually was. And he disgraced his family's name, disgraced the honor of his parents. And yet years later he came to himself and he returned dirty and disheveled. And his father saw him coming, <laughs> thank God, and looked down the road and said, I believe that's my son uh, that, that has gone a long time. And he run to meet him, and he fell on his neck and kissed him. And he said these words, My son which was lost is found. My son which was dead is alive. He said, Bring forth a new rope, put it on him, put a ring on his fingers, shoes on his feet, kill the fatted calf for a celebration feast. In other words, Finn, that's going all the way. That's laying down everything else for the sake and salvation of somebody that's been taken in by this world. That's putting down our ideas and our opinion and the feelings that move up in our life. That father could have had them. The elder brother did. We got a sermon on the elder brother. You don't hear that very much. You always got, always just got one individual in that, in that parable and of the prodigal son and that's the prodigal son. But there was two others in there. One was the father and the other was the elder brother. The father reacted real well. The elder brother reacts some way like the Pharisaical church of the day does. You know, I've been here all this time, and I've been this good, and just look how good I am. And he's been out there wasting everything that you ever give him, and now then he comes home and you give him what you said was mine. I don't like that. And you notice the elder brother never did come in. <laughs> Amen? He never did come in. And there's worlds out there that will not accept those individuals who have been waylaid by Satan uh, that's been shot at, that's, uh, that, that's wasted their substance and what have you, and yet they've come to themselves and they say, why, even the servants in my father's house has got it better than that. Friend, I want to tell you something. I am waiting for the day when those that have one time tasted of the good things of God uh, and have taken all that the world has said was theirs and run that way, one of these times they're going to be dirty and, and, uh, and they're, they're going to be disabled and they're going to have everything gone and the world's going to turn against them and they're going to want somebody to awaken the spirit inside of them and says why even those in my servants in my father's house have got better and I've got I'm going to rise and go back to my father's house and I'm looking for that day when they say that there's Christians out there individuals that's been waylaid by the devil that's sitting there they've had a good time in this world but it's coming to an end and they're going to need somebody somewhere to represent the father to go out and meet them and say you come on in I'm going to give you a ring I'm going to put shoes on your feet and I'm going to give you what you need in this world today friend and you're going to find the elder brother sitting back there and saying hmm not me not me I'm not going to accept him he wasted everything he had oh friend come on that's love that's going all the way I mean that's not just going part of the way that's laying aside our ideas opinions idiocracies idiosyncrasies and all those things and that's putting down all that and that's saying God I want to go all the way with you You've got somebody out there that's despondent, discouraged. They've wasted their life on riotous living, and they've been a mockery. 
Friend, listen, this young man uh, mocked his father, dishonored his father, but you think that father cared? No, he didn't. He realized his reputation could stand it, thank God. And God's people's reputation can handle these things. Amen. Life a lot of times. What's right in the situation? Rather than what's convenient. Convenience sometimes sidetracks us. Do you know that? It just looks like it would be convenient, more convenient to do this. But it's not right. Is that what God wants? The Bible says, Love beareth all things, <laughs> believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. In other words, it said, Bible says, uh, that love just never fails. You don't find any failure in love. I want to tell you a little story. I'll paraphrase this. Jose the prophet married a beautiful young woman. Not long after he married her, she started running around. She bore children by other men and sold her body for gain. She grew old, men lost interest in her body, and they wanted a younger woman. Since she had no trade other than that, she ended up on the slave market. She didn't stand erect. When she stood on the oxen block to display, to display play her form, she was slumped, she was dejected, she covered her face to hide her shame. She said as she stood there, oh God, I never thought it would end like this. It just seemed like there's so much fun and now nobody wants you. And I'm being sold like an animal and nobody cares. And about that time in the midst of her dejection, she heard a familiar voice. Someone was offering a bid. Sold, the auctioneer said. She brushed her hair black, wiped away her tears. She saw Jose counting out the money for her freedom. Putting his arms around her, Jose took her home. <laughs> Thank God. He wasn't worried about what she'd done. He wasn't worried about where she had been. He just saw somebody there that needed love. That's symbolic of God in his children. Symbolic of God and of wayward humans. We've sold ourselves to this world sometimes is taking advantage of us. But God went all the way. Jose went all the way. Love's not a physical attraction to somebody with a lovely face and form. Love is not something that you discard when somebody more attractive comes along. Or something or someone turns you off when the going gets tough and rough. That's not love. It's not a fleeting passion that lasts just for a moment. That's not love. Love is a deliberate choice. And we find in that, husbands and wives, as well as our ability to love God, we find in that a commitment of the will that survives in the church. That we say regardless, I'm committed. Completely different from that which is portrayed by the entertainment industry. Completely different what you see. You see, it's not hard to understand why this film could be on display. It's not hard to understand why the thousands and millions go out and see it. Because they have a misconception of what love is. Love is a beautiful thing. Love is the foundation of every state of society. And if there's one little thing that needs to be guarded and protected from nations against every effort to cheat us by those who don't even know what the word means. That's right. And we who know it and who have helped, who have known what God 
has done for us. He went all the way to us. And I'm wondering if we could consider now going all the way to him. The road will be dark. There'll be times when we really won't have any healing. There'll be bad times. Times when the enemy is on us like ugly on an ape, chicken on a junior. All those things he just did not understand. Every time for And if we have an emotional condition, it won't change. But if we dug deep, I mean if we made a deep, deep commitment, it's gonna last. Proverbs tells us love covereth all things. As long as Solomon said love is the strongest. Romans said, love worketh many years. You see, we have to measure by the scriptures to whether we have that capability or whether we have the commitment that God made for us to be one. We have to measure our love by the scriptures. There is no fear in that. So you know when you're afraid. And you're not made perfect in love. That simply means that you have to work on it a little more. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It just simply means that's an area that you need to work on just a little bit more. And then Hebrews 13 and 1 in closing, an admonition of the Apostle Paul, let brotherly love continue. In other words, it's a necessity. Perhaps it would be good tonight in closing if the Church of God, all of us as members, would reevaluate the meaning of the word and the importance of God's performance in the age And the tricks and snares of the devil change it into what is changed. Which allows the individuals to do the things that they do. Love is a beautiful thing. People are taking it many days. Not just part of the way. We are going to start coping. Remember Jesus. And things don't turn out the way you thought they are. Remember Jesus. And then you are committed at last to respond to this. That's what Jesus is doing. According to some people, he should be here shortly. Either September 12, 13, or 14. I'm not making fun of that. I'm just looking around and I've asked God, what are you going to get, God, when you come? Where is that spot? Right. Where's it You see, the cry still has to be made as far as I'm concerned, waving around. Too many mistakes in man's life. We ought to always live with a white fact in our mind that he could come for you within a second.